are listening to Stories from Palestine podcast, a podcast recorded in Palestine and about Palestine. My name is Crystal. I am originally from the Netherlands and I am married to a Palestinian. We live in Beit Safafa between Jerusalem and Bethlehem and we run Singer Cafe and Al Chisar Bar in Beit Sahur. Before moving to Palestine in 2013, I worked as a teacher and tour guide in the Netherlands. I have a degree in history and in tour guiding and many years of tour guiding experience. Due to the COVID pandemic, tourism in Palestine came to a complete halt and that's why I started Stories from Palestine podcast in August 2020. This is the second year of the podcast with every week on Monday a new episode about the history and heritage of Palestine as well as the reality of life today. I hope you will enjoy today's episode. A few weeks ago, I gave you several topics that I could talk about. And you wanted me to talk about the Mount of Olives, which I did, about Masada, which I did. And then the third option was to speak about Banyas. And there was somebody who really wanted me to talk about Banyas. And so here it is today a solo podcast about Banyas, which I visited about a year ago. And it is not really in historic Palestine. It is actually a site that is in the occupied Golan Heights, which is the area that Israel occupied from Syria in 1967. It is only a short 10 minutes drive from Tel Dan or Tel El-Kadi, I did a podcast about Tel Dan last November, and Tel Dan is in the most northern part of historic Palestine, and Banyas is just west of Tel Dan, but in the Golan Heights. Banyas is an ancient site, and it is a national park where you can also visit the Banyas waterfalls. It is a wonderful visit, wonderful trip if you have the time to go there. And let me tell you a little bit about the history of that place and what you can see there. The area of Banyas developed around spring water. And by this spring, there was the ancient worship of the god Pan. Now, the name Banyas actually still carries the name of the god Pan. But because in Arabic there is no letter P the pronunciation became done with the letter B. So instead of Panyas, it became Banyas. And the spring that you find here is water that is melted snow from Jabal Sheikh or Mount Hermon in English. And this is the highest mountain in the whole region. It is 2,814 meters above sea level. And in the winter, there is snow on the mountain. And then in the spring, the snow starts to melt. And there are several rivers and springs that you can find around the foot of Jabal Sheikh. The area of Banyas is first mentioned around the year 200 before Christ. And in that year, there was a battle that happened at what is described as Panium, the Battle of Panium. And this battle was between the Seleucids and the Ptolemaic armies. These were armies that came to fight each other after 
Alexander the Great had conquered Palestine. He was on his way to Egypt in the 4th century, around 313, and he conquered Palestine. And then soon after that, he died and his army generals started fighting between each other over the control of the region. Now, the Seleucid Empire was founded by the Macedonian general Seleucus I Nicator, and that empire covered the area that is now Turkey, Lebanon, Syria, and then continuing eastwards all the way towards India. And the Ptolemaic kingdom was ruled from ancient Egypt, was in the southern part, and also had Palestine in the beginning. It was established by Ptolemy I Soter. And then later, after this battle at Panium, later Panias, in this battle, the Seleucids won, and then Palestine became under the Seleucid rule. So in 200 BC, it was Panium, and then the name Panias was later given to it by the historian Pliny, and he named it after the god Pan. And the god Pan was the god of the nature, the god of the wild, the fields and the forests, the mountains. And he was considered to be a companion also of the nymphs. The nymphs were female divinities, not immortal. They used to live long lives, but they were not immortal. They were not very important deities, but they were associated with fertility and with the growing of plants and trees and also with water. So Pan is often depicted in art together with the nymphs. And he himself is depicted as a half-man and a half-goat. And because he was a rustic god, the god of nature, he was not worshipped in buildings, not in temples, but usually in natural settings, such as, for example, caves. And in Banyas, there's a very big cave in steep rocks that was said to be the birthplace of Pan. And until today, when you visit the site, you can see the entrance to this big cave. And this was considered to be the entrance to the temple. But in the same time, this big dark entrance to the cave and the unknown of what was beyond what you could see deep down inside this dark cave, this became the symbol of the gates of Hades, the underworld. It was seen as the gate to the underworld. It was the place where the fertility gods would rest in winter, when they were not needed to grow anything and where they would take a rest in the underworld. And in that time, during the worship period of Pan, they covered the entrance to the cave by a facade, a temple facade. It looked like the typical Greek temples. It had columns. It had a triangular tympanum. And you can find some artists' impressions of what that must have looked like if you Google it. Just Google Temple of Pan in Banyas and you will get some pictures of that. And today, if you visit, there are no more structures. So all these structures are gone. They did find in excavations some of the tympanum and of the columns. But the temples themselves are gone and you can still see the entrance to that natural cave. What you can see 
in the natural rock of the cliff is that they made niches and small arches where they used to put small statues and idols to worship the god Pan and other gods. And so you can still see that until now. And in excavations, they also found some of these small statues. And try to imagine the atmosphere there in ancient times when the people used to come together to worship the god Pan. Especially in the end of the day, as it was getting dark, and they would light their torches, and you would smell the incense that they were burning at the sanctuary. And many people would come to visit to worship Pan, to ask for fertility, to ask for fertility for themselves, but also for their crops and for their cattle, for their animals. And in order to please the god, they would bring goats to sacrifice them. They used to throw the goats into the spring water, hoping that he would accept their sacrifice and bless them. If the goat would sink, they would know that their sacrifice had been accepted as an offering. But if the goat didn't sink, then they would go to the next step, which was to toss a child into the water. And that must have been quite a dramatic scene with the crying babies and panicking mothers and fathers and the temple priests running around, the spectators, everybody anxious. A lot of tragedy happened here. And in the year 20 before Christ, this area, this ancient site of worship of pagan gods became part of the kingdom of Herod the Great. And I spoke about Herod the Great in several episodes he was considered a client king of the Roman Empire. He ruled over a large stretch of land over Idumea, Judea, Samaria, the Galilee, and even beyond what is now the Golan Heights in Syria. And when Banias came under his rule, he also erected his own temple, a big white marble temple, and he built it in honor of the emperor Caesar Augustus. And maybe you remember that he also built a whole city that he dedicated to Caesar Augustus, which was Caesarea Maritima, Caesarea on the beach. I did an episode about that also. After his death, after Herod the Great died, this territory was ruled by one of his sons, Philip. And Philip made it the capital of his territory and that territory included also Golanitis and if you hear Golanitis you can still hear the Golan that we still use in the Golan Heights you can still recognize the name of Golanitis in today's name there was also Traconitis and Batania and these were the areas to the east of the Galilee so he made Banyas the capital and he renamed it he now called it Caesarea Philippi. So he also honored the emperor, Caesar Augustus, but he also named it after himself. His name was Philip, so he called it Caesarea Philippi. And in this way, they could also distinguish it from Caesarea Maritima, the one that was built by his father on the coast. Caesarea Philippi became a large, flourishing Roman city, and a lot of new structures were built. Besides the temple for the Augustus Caesar, there was also a temple for Zeus and a courtyard area to worship Pan. 
And then there were some other temples for worship. There was a tomb temple of the sacred goats and the temple of Pan and the dancing goats. And there was the court of Nemesis. And Nemesis was the goddess of vengeance and the goddess of the Roman imperial justice. So she was responsible for punishing those who were guilty of arrogance. So they set up a court for Nemesis in this area also. Caesarea Philippi is also mentioned in the Bible. It is actually the furthest place in the north where Jesus visited with his apostles. And this is mentioned, for example, in the book of Matthew. Jesus took his apostles to this location and he took them for a reason. Because in general, they must have felt pretty uncomfortable coming here because it wasn't a Jewish town and Jesus and his apostles were Jews. No, all the people who lived there were pagans and they worshipped pagan gods. And in the eyes of the apostles, that meant that they were worshipping false gods. But Jesus came here for a purpose because he wanted to show his mission, to show his power over what he considered evil. I will read from the book of Matthew, chapter 16 from the Bible, and it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? So he's asking them about himself. Who do they say I am? And they replied, Well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. But what about you, he asked. What do you say? Who am I? And Simon Peter said, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you Lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. So imagine, right there, outside of the cave that was considered not only to be a place to worship Pan, but also to be the place that was said to be the gates of Hades, of the underworld, right there, Jesus confirms that he is the Messiah and that he has come to bring salvation to the people, that he has come to conquer evil. And he says that the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So the underworld will not overcome it. He will be victorious over the devil. So he did not make that whole trip to the north for no reason. The story is very much to show the people that Jesus is going to be victorious. It is not written in the Bible that Jesus entered into the capital, that he entered into the city of Caesarea Philippi. It seems that the setting of the story is really meant to be by the ancient holy site, by the Greek pagan temples, where Jesus made this very clear position about his mission. 
This Bible text, by the way, is also the text that especially Catholics use to say that Peter was the first of the popes, the first person on which the church would be built. While you would hear from Protestants that they understand this Bible text differently and they say it doesn't mean that Peter is the one on which the church will be built, that he as a person receives the keys to heaven and that this is meant only for Peter and his followers, the popes. But they believe that when Jesus said, this didn't come from you, this came from God, and it is on this belief that I will build my church. So Protestants would more explain it as the rock is the belief that a true Christian has, and that is on which God will build his church. And as you probably know, Protestants don't really believe in the authority of the one Pope. After Jesus' visit to Banias, and this was during his last journey, before going back to Jerusalem where he would be crucified, on his way south, there's another interesting story from the Bible that happened, and a lot of pilgrims who visit Palestine they will go and visit also this place, and that is Mount Tabor, because pilgrims believe that that is the mount on which the transfiguration happened. So as the story goes, Jesus takes three of his apostles, Peter, James, and John, up onto a high hill, and then, as it's written in the Bible, Jesus becomes radiant with glory. And at that moment... The apostles, they see two other figures and they recognize them as Moses and Elijah. And Moses was the one who led the Israelites out of Egypt. And he was the one who received the law of God, also on a mountain, by the way, on the Mount Sinai. So these were the rules by which the people should live. And Elijah was a prophet who had great trust in God and he challenged the prophets of the god Baal, one of the Canaanite gods, on the Mount Carmel, where they both built altars to their gods to sacrifice animals, and then they waited for their gods to light the fire, which did not happen on the altar of the Baal worshippers, but it did happen to the altar of the god of Elijah. And during the story of the Transfiguration, it becomes clear that the old law the law of Moses, and the old times, the times of the prophets, are now over and that now Jesus as the Messiah is the new way that people should follow. And that's why he transfigures and God speaks to him and says that he's very pleased with his son. So this is a story of salvation by God presenting Jesus as the Messiah to the apostles. So pilgrims appointed Mount Tabor as the mountain. It's also interesting. It's in the Marj bin Amr or the Jisrael Valley. And it's a kind of conic shaped mountain that is really sticking out in the rest of the valley. It's also close to the Lake of Galilee where there are many other pilgrim sites. So it was easy to organize a visit also to Mount Tabor. And if you visit it, you will find a Greek Orthodox Church and a Catholic Church. And the Catholic Church is designed by the famous Italian architect Antonio Balluzzi. 
And we heard about him before. I spoke about him, for example, in the episode about the Mount of Olives. He was the architect of the Franciscans. He was very famous, especially for using a lot of symbolism in his designs. Symbolism that referred to the biblical stories that were venerated on that location. And in this church, for example, we see in his design three vertical elements in the facade, in the front of the church. And that represents the meeting of Jesus, Moses and Elijah, these three main characters. And originally he had built an alabaster transparent roof to get as much sunlight in as possible to symbolize the transfiguration. But because it was leaking, so they had to replace it with another roof that is more waterproof. And now the effect of the light shining into the church is not the same way that he had wanted it to be. So these are two beautiful sites that you can visit when you go up north. Banias, by the way, is a national park and it requires an entrance fee. There are actually two sites that you can visit. There's the ancient site that I described. It has the cliff with the cave and the spring. And then in the same area, you can walk around the excavated site of the city of Caesarea Philippi. You can find here remains of the Roman time, remains of the later Byzantine time, the palace of Herod Agrippa, for example. There is a cardo, a main road, Roman road, bathhouses. There's also a Byzantine synagogue that they excavated and even a church. And if you walk down the water stream, you can see some of the old Ottoman time flour mills that used the water power to move the millstones and grind the grains to make flour for baking bread. And a short ride from this ancient site, you can find the waterfall of Banyas. And this is the most powerful waterfall in Palestine. It drops down about 10 meters and it falls down into a pool. It's not allowed to swim, but uh, you can reach it by walking the last bit is about 100 meters over what they call the hanging trail because it's quite hidden and otherwise it would be hard to reach. And then you are on a sort of wooden platform and you're pretty close to the waterfall. So you can feel some of the splashing water, but you cannot swim there. It's most beautiful to visit in spring when Palestine is green and it's not so hot. And I truly hope that one day when you are in Palestine, you will have a chance to visit this and other sites that I talked about in the podcast. And that's all I wanted to say about Banyas. Thank you for listening to Stories from Palestine. If you enjoy the podcast, then here are several things you can do to support the show. Tell your friends about the podcast, share some of the social media posts on Instagram or Facebook, start following the YouTube channel, you can also hear the podcast audio there, and soon I will start uploading videos. Sign up for the email list so that you get a reminder with a clickable link to the new podcast episode, and in the future you will be updated about programs and trips that I will start to organize. And of course, you can donate to help me 
pay for hosting the podcast and the website and all the related recording costs. It's the only source of income I have at the moment, so you can imagine how much I appreciate every cup of coffee or falafel sandwich that you buy me on the Kofi platform. All the links that you need can be found in the show notes and on the website storiesfrompalestine.info. That's it. I hope you will tune in again next week. <laughs>